Dustin Backey shares how to integrate effective study methods, learning tools, and personal management techniques as part of your curriculum on today's Teaching in Higher Ed, episode 97. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. I love how I found today's guest. It's because he is a regular listener. And to me, it just represents the community that's being built through teaching in higher ed. And Dustin, I know that we talked about before we pressed record, having you do your bio with me rather than me (laughs) read it before you get on the phone. So tell me a little bit about what you do now and a little bit about how you got there. Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. I'm excited to be on and have my chance to be part of the show. So I'm currently a third-year lecturer at California State University, Chico. I lecture in kinesiology, and that's been my background, a lot of biomechanics with kind of an eye of performance training and technique. I've done a lot of running research specifically. And going through my master's degree here, I started teaching classes as a TA or GA and realized I love teaching and decided to pursue it a little bit more. And as things go with theses, sometimes it takes longer than you think. And so I got some extra time to teach and my passion has really shifted away from the kinesiology background to more, I'm really interested in higher education and particularly the underlying value system regarding quality instruction in university instructors, departments, and just university systems as a whole. And Dustin, I know we're going to dive right in now to the topics for today. And we have a lot to talk about because you have given this presentation and have lots to share about instead of having us share about study techniques and maybe a first year course that's entirely devoted to that, Sometimes universities don't offer that, or sometimes it's hard for students to really leverage a course because it's so separate from the other academic work that they're doing. So your whole focus is to integrate those things, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And as we start out, tell me about students as academic surfers. Right. So that's that's kind of one thing that really has me interested in kind of coming out of being a student into an instructor and not having that big separation, there's rarely that intro to college course or they don't always take it if there is. And I, I don't know who said this quote, but they said they go from having to raise their hand to pee to being expected to responsibly make life-changing financial health and academic choices in a couple of months. And so who who's teaching them these academic habits, study time, personal management, those kind of things generally are other students and upperclassmen, friends they have that they see kind of getting through it. And so I kind of have this idea of academic surfers that in my time teaching, I've started noticing this 
in my students and even t- my time as a student, I, I would do it sometimes as well, but students will just put things off until the deadline. And yeah, procrastination is part of it, but the way a lot of our classes and things are designed is that it's okay to put that off. And we have a big project due here and then we have a little bit of a break and then another big project. And then what happens is students put things off and instead of preparing over time a little bit each day, they prepare at the very end. And so they take this big wave of work and sacrifice and quick rote review that doesn't really lend to actual learning just to get through that exam. And then they get through it and they're exhausted and they're tired and they need some personal time. And I don't think any of us can argue with that, but then that, that can work if there was one wave system. And that's kind of my idea here is that one class that might work just mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> yeah. But we all have different classes and as you know, we don't have a meeting where all of us instructors get together and say, all right, let's time our projects together or make sure they're not coinciding too much. And what happens is instead of becoming like an ocean where these waves are regular and predictable with downtime in between, it becomes more like a wave pool. So how about this wave pool? What's the wave pool like? So I like to think of the wave pool as pretty much just chaos where things are coming in over and over and students who are waiting till that last minute to just get over the hump of that wave, never get that time to um, breathe, so to speak. And so what happens is we we have students saying, well, this is the best I can do. This is how it's supposed to be. I see my peers getting through it and they're bruised and battered and broken from this chaotic wave pool, but they got through great. Um, maybe they need rescued by the lifeguard or a professor with some extra credit a couple times, but, but they got out. And I just think there, there's a better way that if we can help as instructors teach our students these academic habits that will help minimize or smooth this wave pool so that they can do a little bit every day and hopefully avoid those huge, just draining waves that end up being almost soul crushing as some students might describe it. You and I are going to talk a little bit about three different formulas, and we're going to do this on audio, which is a risk, but we're willing to take this risk. (laughs) One of the thinkers that you have connected with in terms of your own research on this is Cal Newport, and he shares about this simple math around time spent and the intensity of focus. Share with, with us a little bit about that simple math. So Cal Newport believes that this intensity of focus or what he likes to call deep work is what we as individuals really want to harness. And that's going to help us reach our maximum potential. He just wrote a book that I'm really interested in reading. I've read his previous work, but I haven't read this new deep work book. But ultimately, he kind of believes that the work accomplished is a product of the time spent and the intensity of focus. And so if you want to minimize that time spent on that task, it requires maximizing that intensity of focus or really focusing in on what you're trying to do in that moment. 
And then there are a couple of other formulas that you share about. And, and these couple of the second and the third ones are from Thomas Frank, who runs a site called College Info Geek or Geeks. College Info Geek. There we go. And the first one has, after the equal sign, it's all about desired preparedness because our students really want desire to be prepared for that exam, for that assignment. That is truly their motivation. Talk me through the formula for desired preparedness. Yeah. So Thomas Frank runs a blog and advice website really focused on students navigating college. And it's actually a great resource and I know our recommendations are at the end, but I I encourage instructors to even look at some of those resources for students because, I mean, that's been a huge motivator and kind of light bulb generator for me is, okay, if this is what's being great for students, maybe I can incorporate this into my teaching and work with that. That's kind of the whole idea of integrating some of this here. But Thomas believes that the desired preparedness or total learning is basically the in-class learning, which is combined of class time and quality learning in class, added up with self-learning, which is study time and study efficiency. And then he has the final formula. We promise listeners no more formulas after this, where he, he rearranges the formula algebraically to really hone in on the study time. And let's talk through this last formula. Okay, so the study time formula is basically rearranging that previous formula with a little bit of algebra to really highlight study time in that trying to reduce that, we need to increase study efficiency and quality of learning. And so if we can increase these, so what students get out of every class, because we can't necessarily control time in class, and ultimately desired preparedness is what we want to get out of it. So if we can improve what they're getting out of class as well as their efficiency of study, that will lower the time that they have to spend in this study time and hopefully open them up to meeting everything else that they need to do on their busy plates and not feeling worn out and feeling energized to tackle the challenges ahead of them. Yeah, and this is a formula that you introduce to your students, and I think it's great. I I would love to implement this myself because I do talk about it when whenever we start doing things like retrieval practice in the classroom or things that are really going to change the norms that they've grown accustomed to in college. And then also just this idea of, yeah, you're, you're actually going to work in class. You're not going to go in and, and sit here. And that, that may frustrate you, but it actually comes from me caring about you as a person, but it also comes about me caring about your time. So many of you work, so many of you are athletes, so many of you are in the choir, in the orchestra. And then if we can be smarter about how we're spending our time and really increase that focus while we're in class. And so I think this is just great a great thing to introduce where they can actually see it broken down in this way. Yeah. And I love talking to my students about this because I feel so many students just waste their time in class. Um, a lot of times the slides will be available and they'll spend their class time just making a copy of something they already have, hoping that that will help them learn it. And actually the research shows that that lends itself to basic memorization, but not actual learning. And you share also, you actually said this a little bit earlier, that they're not really going to have control in 
their classes on how the professor spends the time, but they certainly have control over how they spend their time while the professor is chosen to do whatever it is that they do. So there are a number of note-taking techniques that you teach to your students and then actually have them practice that for a class and then teach a second one and have them practice that. And one of the ones I really wanted to hear you share a little bit about today because it relates so much to retrieval practice, which we share a lot about on the show and having a spaced review is the Leitner review. And so can you share a little bit about what that is and how it helps students when they're working on some type of spaced review and retrieval practice? Yeah, so the Leitner review system is a great way, um, like you said, for spaced retrieval. So the Leitner review system works with the traditional note cards. You have your note cards, and as you review them, you'll want to initially put the ones that you get correct into one pile and the ones that you don't get correct into a separate pile. And then so you have correct and incorrect note cards. And the idea is that those correct note cards, you've got a good grasp on them. The incorrect need a little bit more. So if I were preparing for an exam in a week or maybe two, I might not look at those note cards that I got right again until tomorrow. But later today, I'm going to review those incorrect note cards again. If I get it correct, I move it to that second pile. And then ultimately what you do is when you go to review that second pile, if you get it right, you move it to a third pile. If you get it wrong, it goes all the way back to that first unknown pile. And the idea is that ultimately you'll have four piles where the first pile, these are the ones that need review. You're not getting them right. You're checking that first pile three or four times a day. That second pile, maybe once or twice a day. That third pile, every few days. That fourth pile, once a week. And that's just an example, depending on timeframes. And I like to give my students example schedules of, oh God, I need to learn this versus I've got this and what that might look like in this system. A lot of the research shows that almost the best time to learn something is right as you're about to forget it. As well as it takes advantage of this idea of we want to be strategic with with our time and not spend our time reviewing and studying things that we already have a good grasp on. And what are some of the ways that you help your students actually build their first Leitner review system? I I kind of explain this question, evidence conclusion method to them. And then we will actually here in our department, we've got a pretty big surplus of note cards. So I'll actually bring in note cards and I'll encourage each student to take 10 And just as an activity that day, for this class in particular, I will have 10 topics that will be on the upcoming exam. And I'll ask them to make note cards for these. And we'll spend 10, 15 minutes making our note cards in this method. And then after that, I will actually explain how to use those note cards with the Leitner review system. I know that sometimes when I will try something like this for the very first time, there is some resistance from students. And I would want everybody who's listening today to know that this is often not met with unicorns and joy and and happiness and glitter. <laughs> My husband's laughing as he listens right. saying, I can't stand glitter. Anyway, and, and so how do you deal then with a potential where someone says, I don't learn this way? That's a great question. For me as an instructor, this is just one thing, and I try to hit a number of different 
types of study reviews and note-taking methods and stuff throughout my semester so that people who learn different ways get those different opportunities, but it also introduces them to ways that they've potentially never thought of. And so I'd encourage them to give it a try. I'd say, hey, we're doing this as an in-class activity. You're essentially getting 15 minutes of free study time that you don't have to do outside the class. Mm-hmm. Why not do it? give it a shot with these 10 topics? See how it works. I think we're going to talk about it a little later, but then with critical review, they can actually reflect a little bit on, did that work for me? Or I gave it a shot or, and it just wasn't for me. Yeah. When, when we've talked about on prior episodes about, for example, retrieval practice, often that's met with resistance from the students and how could they possibly even know what works for them or not when you haven't even started doing it yet. And I like what you said where it's, you're coming back to in a friendly way to say, Hey, let's just give this a try and not, not responding in a defensive way. But even when students have had demonstrated to them that something like this works, there still may be that resistance to it. So just having a cheerful attitude about it, and we're going to give this a go. And then I like, too, that you are showing them some different methods, too, and and mixing things up in that way. Because if things get too predictable, then that's also shown to to decrease the potential for learning as well. So that's a, I, I like that you're doing all of that. And then I know you have a couple of educational technology tools, one that helps you with your own retrieval, and then one that helps the students with implementing the Lightner method. So there's a system called the Anki review system. That's A-N-K-I. And this is a electronic flashcard builder. And the great thing about this is They can build their flashcards in it and it will automatically put them into those boxes and remind the students to review them at the proper times. So it kind of streamlines it a little bit. So if they're more digitally inclined, I like to give them that option. And then I will actually use it in combination with my Attendance 2 app, which is the app I use to quickly take attendance at the beginning of class and use it for cataloging and assigning points to classes throughout the semester. But part of that is I have to save all the pictures of my students to that app. And when I do that, I use those same pictures to create flashcards of the students and their names on Anki. And in the first few weeks, I can do my own spaced repetition with their names and those pictures. You also have taken away a technique from Susan Ambrose, who wrote How Learning Works, of what are called exam wrappers. Can you share about those? Yeah, exam wrappers are one of my absolute favorite things to do surrounding the exam. And what an exam wrapper is, is it is a guided reflection or debrief upon the return of the exam. And I actually ask my students to take 10 minutes no questions are allowed to be asked and just reflect by themselves using this guided worksheet. And the the purpose is to review and analyze their performance with an eye toward adapting to their future learning. That's exactly how Susan Ambrose puts it. And so questions that I like to put on there are things like what study resources did you use? So again, I'm tying it back into that game plan, but it's also giving me an opportunity to understand what my students are using, what's working for them. And with that, I might say, which ones were particularly helpful? I'll ask what classroom activities were particularly useful in preparing you for the exam. 
what could you have done better on the exam? Things like that. And so I, I was a little hesitant on at first with these, wondering just how seriously students will take it. And reading through them every time I'm blown away. Uh, students usually expect to get a little bit of a higher grade. So that's one of the questions that I'll ask is when you left the room after the exam, how well did you think you did? And that's always an interesting one. Um, I also like to kind of see how much time they spent. And for me, if a student spent 20 hours, 10 plus hours dedicated specifically to my exam and got a C, that's a big red flag for me as an instructor that, okay, something isn't working well for this student and we need to kind of look into that. And another question I'd like to ask is, what do you plan to do differently for the next exam? Mm -hmm. And what this does is it gets students actually slowing down when they get that exam back and taking time to think about how did I do? What worked? What didn't work? What worked in class? What what do I need from the instructor? That's another thing I like to ask is, what could I help you do um, more? And that, that one I get the most surprising answers on. It's the last question of my wrapper and I say, what can the instructor do to help support your learning and preparation for the next exam? And what I see a lot on there is, I've really enjoyed the study review and they, they might say something like, thank you for these kind of things or these have been helpful, but it was on me, you know, I didn't study quite as much as I'd like to and I want to take advantage of this next time. And I get some really honest answers in there where they actually kind of step up and take that responsibility of, I didn't study enough and next time I'm going to or that kind of thing. And so it's, it's a really powerful reflection activity that gets students thinking about this rather than just diving into, oh no, why did I get this wrong? Or, did you grade this right? Did you add your points up? And it, it just kind of slows them down and gets that reflection going. One of the last things I wanted to ask you about is another way that you are preparing your students for success. And that is you require your students to meet with you for 30 minutes between the exams. Can you share about what kinds of things that you talk about there and what your philosophy is behind that? Yeah, absolutely. This is by far my favorite practice, and it's something that I tell a lot of instructors and they, their eyes bug out. 30 minutes with every one of your students in a four-week time frame, and it's a lot of work. But it gives me an opportunity to have a conversation with that student. If I didn't quite know them beforehand, now I do. What I get the chance to, we'll review that first exam. We'll have that game plan that we talked about. We'll have the exam, we'll have the exam wrapper. And so that's kind of how I like to start those meetings is kind of go through it and say, oh, this worked really well for you, or this didn't quite work well, what, what wasn't working there? And then we'll go over kind of their course standing and what it looks like the rest of their semester projected out might look like. But it also gives me a chance to talk about why are you in this class? What, what are you taking out of it? What are you enjoying? What's, what's maybe not working for you? And one of the big parts of this and why I love it so much is it actually opens up that just relationship door between a student and an instructor. There, There's often semesters that will go by where a student, you'll never speak more than probably two minutes with them if they're just in and out of class every day and they never come by office hours or never stop to 
ask questions post-class or something like that. And I get to actually have a conversation with every one of my students, and it really gives me a good understanding of where my class is at and what this group of students needs and helps me kind of nail down meeting those kind of red flag students who maybe didn't do too well or their attendance hasn't been great. And what I've found, and it's, it's very anecdotal, and one thing that I'd maybe like to look into in the future is the post impact of this is I have more students coming to office hours. I get more emails about, hey, I, was, I didn't quite understand what we talked about in lecture today. Could you help me understand this concept? And my attendance goes up. And I see the effects after this first exam between the game plan, the reflection, and this, this meeting really kind of translate throughout the rest of the semester to make a very collaborative back and forth type of environment with my students. And how do you actually, I, I hate to even use this word, but how do you enforce it? What's the, so what if I don't meet with you? What's the consequence? <sighs> the consequence is they don't get to take exam two, mm. which is a big one. And it gets, it gets them all in. And I, 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 you know, there might be a better way of, getting them in or not. I, I, I'm not a big fan of necessarily the idea of threatening something that big. And of course, I've had students in the past not make it in and we worked with those students and got them through. But usually just the idea of, oh no, I don't get to take exam two, gets them in the door. And then once they're in the door, I can, they're like, oh, Dustin's a real person. He, he has a life and he's invested in me and wants to know how I'm doing. And then they're not as adverse to getting through that door in the future. One of the things I've thought about in my teaching, I also teach a lot of students who are in our athletics programs and I teach at a teaching institution, not a research institution. And I also, the athletics department there is incredibly focused on academics. So I know I'm fortunate with both of those things. And we are asked to give a grade check to many of the students that are early in their academic career or ones that are at risk of needing some extra support. And it always feels so transactional to me. And I have actually thought about, and this would be, I would not, this would not be something I would be praised for by the students. Let's just say that. But I've thought about if you'd like a grade check, set up a time to meet with me. I no longer do them. They, they, and they're, it's nice they have it where it's set up on an f- online form. They make it easy right. for us as professors to do it, but I want to make it harder on the students in the sense of I want them to be also as interested as I am in assessing their performance. And I think that will be something that would be a way I could implement what you're talking about and have there be a little bit more. And because I'll always email them and say, I, I didn't want to just fill out this form, but not, not also share this with you. And that's where they can get an update on their attendance and things like that. But I think I would so much rather have those face-to-face conversations with them. And I think I can help them better succeed and use my strengths and, and get to know them better and, and be able to support them more effectively. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how powerful they are. And I, I encourage everyone to, maybe if you don't have the time, and we know how busy we all can be as instructors, but maybe even those at-risk students that aren't attending class or maybe didn't do as well on that exam as you would like, maybe require that you meet with them. And even outside of the academic realm, a lot of times students are just looking for someone who's on their side and who's got their back. And I've actually had students come up to me with really serious, deep 
personal issues from um, family members passing away to mental health struggles. And those kind of things have come up after these kind of meetings. And it's a very humbling experience to know that you've earned that student's trust enough that they are willing to share what's going on outside of the classroom with you. And I think one of your really early podcasts, you mentioned something about a student who you kind of pegged him as a, oh, he's not interested. He's kind of got a bad attitude. And then when you finally were able to meet with him, you found out that, wow, there's really some big things going on in his life. And as instructors, if we can support that and work with students, that just helps them ultimately get what we want them to get in the knowledge and education. And sometimes we need to be flexible with that, but we don't have a good sense of who our students are and what they're going through. It's hard for us to adapt. So true. This is the point in the show when we're each going to give recommendations and mine requires a little bit of audio as I explain it. This is by a group called Playing for Change and they are doing a cover of the song Higher Ground that I'm sure will be familiar to many people listening. And what you are hearing, and if you follow the link in the show notes, what you will see are musicians from all over the world that are playing together this song. There are musicians from Italy, from Senegal, from Mali, Brazil, France, South Africa, Japan, United States, the Netherlands, and it keeps going on and on. And I love watching this video just thinking about what technology and collaborative networks allow us to do. It's just really fun. It's fun to watch the joy on the musician's face and how the song connects them all from all around the world. It's a really fun listen. I encourage everyone to go take a listen and and actually see the musicians in their respective locations. And if you also go look at the nonprofits link, I'm going to only play 30 seconds of this one. It's playingforchange.com, which will be on the show notes as always. And he starts to tell the story of how he started this organization. I've got dreams, dreams to remember. I was going to the recording studio and I saw this one musician and I just thought, wow, this guy's unbelievable. All of a sudden I just had this epiphany. The best music I ever heard in my life is on the way to the studio and not in the studio. And that's when I sort of had the idea for Playing for Change, which was to bring the studio to the people. He really tells some great stories about the musicians that they've worked with. Some of them are unknowns, or I should say, as of yet, unknowns, and all the way up to some of the really big names. In fact, he's got a quote from Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. He says, playing for change, that's the way music was meant to be. Dustin, what do you recommend today? Um, My recommendation is a new app that I have been kind of experimenting with recently and looking forward to fully integrating into my future semesters, but it's called Socrative. And what it allows me to do is it sounds pretty similar to your poll everywhere that you use, Bonnie, in that it's an app that my students can download and that I can have pulled up during class and I could ask simply, all right, who, who's feeling comfortable or comfortable moving on from this topic? And they quickly answer and without giving away who is who, 
it tells me, all right, 50% of the class is still kind of struggling with this. We need a little bit more reflection on it. And, and that's just one, one way to use it. My mentor here at Chico State, he actually uses it with an exit ticket, and he likes to have three questions at the end of every class of, what did you learn today? What did you struggle with today? And how, did, how do you feel you engaged as a student today? And they, they answer these questions, and he's actually able to review after each session the topics that they are struggling with and maybe didn't quite get across and he needs to touch a, touch on again later. And there's also some games where you can make a game out of a quiz to see who can answer the most questions the fastest and things like that. And so it's a really great tool for getting that instant feedback from your students as you go through each class and then even potentially afterwards. Dustin, thank you so much for joining me today on Teaching in Higher Ed. And I think even more so, although I've really enjoyed our conversation very much, I just really appreciate you being a part of the community. And I know we've exchanged emails, and I hope that that is just the beginning because this is what this growing community is all about. So thank you for your time today, but also your time collectively. Yeah, thank you for facilitating this great community. And I'm excited to be a part of it and continue learning every day as I walk to work. Now I have the song Waiting for Change stuck in my head in a delightful way, and it's going to get ruined by this jolting change in musical genre. (laughs) If you have not yet subscribed to the weekly update, what that'll get you every week is a link to all the things that we talked about in the show. And Dustin had so many great resources I want to make sure you get access to. You can get access to them directly on the link for the show, which will be at teachinginhighered.com. Or you can always subscribe to the weekly update and receive them in your inbox. And you can do that at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. And you also get an article about teaching or productivity from me each week, most weeks. Yes. And just thanks so much for listening. As always, if you have feedback on the show, you can do that at teachinginhighered.com slash feedback. And I love hearing from so many of you on Twitter, too. I'm at B-O-N-N-I-208. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week.